subscribe, hit that like button, and as always, leave a comment, and thank you for enjoying the video. Shot to right, slicing toward the pesky pole, down the line, it's going to be the pesky pole, leaping up, oh. and that ball is gone, that's a home run, they're brought of our Nesson team as well, high fly down the right field line, headed toward the pesky pole, that one tucked in, oh. and that ball is going to be against the wall, and in the second base, number retired, and now Rafael Devers trying to retire that baseball, inside the pesky pole, Welcome to another episode of the Pesky Podcast brought to you by our Boston Sports Entertainment Network. I'm your host, The Rit. With me, like always, is the OG, Mr. George Sullivan. George, what's going on, man? How you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, excited uh, for what we're going to do tonight. I, th this is going to be a blast for me, so I'm absolutely man. stoked. Man, I sit there, I can't. I can't wait for, for numerous reasons. I, I've been talking to our guest off and on, you know, for the past couple of weeks. Uh, you know, the way we got hooked up together was, you know, really great. I love networking. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and one of the big reasons I love this guest is because we get to hear a Hall of Famer, his voice on our podcast. And well, before we bring out the guest, we will sit there and love to introduce them in this special way. So, George, I'm glad you're sitting down because this is going to be great. Can't wait. And if there's anybody that I know of, player, coach, teacher, student, or anybody that I've ever talked to about hitting, he knows, he knows more about my principles that I believe in hitting than anyone I've ever been with. Thanks, Ted. Thanks for believing in me. And here we are with the man himself, the successor for Ted Williams, the, the named successor for Ted Williams, Mr. Steve Faroli. Steve, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for man. having me. Well, uh, Steve, you and I got connected through a mutual friend. And, you know, he, he's the host of the Foxborough Fellows podcast here on BSEN. And, you know, but you have a little more history with, with him, Mr. Uh, Pete Collins. So yeah. to tell everybody a, a little bit of, of how you know Pete uh, and, you know, uh, how you guys connected. Well, Pete was – Pete and I are both from Hanover. Um, Pete was playing uh, in Hanover Youth Baseball – and his grandfather, Al Saruta, uh, who's passed on at this point, um, had had seen ads, you know, where Ted was talking about me and, you know, newspaper ads. He said, geez, you know, I got to get my grandkids over to this guy. So um, they come over and uh, I had not just Pete, but also his younger brother, Nathan, as well. But I had Peter first. He's older. And uh, he attended my camp for years and uh, boy, what a great job he did. He was, you know, pitcher. And I'll never forget one thing with Pete. Um, he 
I was saying, here's what I want you to do with your swing. You know, we're working on this hitting one day and it was raining. He was doing a lesson with me. So I turned to the grandfather. I said, you guys aren't in a hurry, are you? And that reminds me of Ted because I never really cared about how long I want to get it right. You know what I'm saying? So it's raining. I'm like, now just, just do this, do this. And I'm on it. And it's kind of, we call it a teaching moment. You know, he was getting on it and he's like, like that, you know, pow, like that, pow. He says, it seems like I should be doing more. I said, no, you don't have to do anything more than that. Just like that. And I'll never forget that day. I actually have it in my notes where, where Peter Collins was out there in the rain with his grandfather looking on. And I got him to understand a feeling as opposed to anything else. This is what it feels like. And because it was rain, it didn't matter. We had to keep going through. And uh, he later pitched and ended up beating the best team in the state, either his junior or senior year. And uh, just a classy kid. He played in the Ted Williams League for years. And um, just a great kid and a great family. So um, it's all, and it's fun how the dots come connected. And then he talks to you exactly. and, you know, he sends me an email. I said, yeah, whatever you need, fire it up, man. Let's go. You know? So that's my Peter Collins story, you know? Yeah. I talking to Pete about it, it. It it's, it's amazing because, you know, and you and I talked about it, how Pete was a pitcher Yeah. and everybody knows you for hitting. <laughs> so, so, so Steve, let's, let's try to connect the dots of you know what what is it what can a man that is that knows more oh actually let's quote quote it better that forgot more about hitting than what anybody on earth knows about hitting how can he help a pitcher well you know ted used to say it's a damn crime if i swear we're gonna get in trouble <laughs> no 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 steve you're good man i say with ted williams stories I know there's going to be some cussing going back and forth because, you know, he wasn't the most adequate of men. He was very colorful at times, very colorful, even toward me. Um, but uh, he would say, it's a damn shame they didn't let me pitch, you know. And um, because if someone can put a hitter together, he can take them apart. And, you know, that's how I used to talk to Peter. You know, I'd be like, okay, well, you understand what it feels like on this end of it. Well, we're just going to create problems from the other end. And um, so that's really, you know, of course, you know, you have to be able to show the boy how to throw a proper curveball and decent rudiments of a pitching motion, all these things. But then that next level, when they get to be, when they're entering what I call a cat and mouse game where, you know, we're going to throw this pitch or that pitch, and we're going to play with the, we're going to play with disrupting the hitter's timing. Now, that's how are we going to attack certain hitters? What type of hitters are they and what are we going to do to them? And uh, we used to have great conversations like that. And I would catch him and I would, you know, give the signs, you know, and I talk out loud. You know, I'd say, OK, this is the first battery runs really well. He's kind of made to hit. He's not going to hurt us long ball. So we're going to do this with him. And, and we would kind of attack it like that. Now, here's the second battery. He's a lefty, da, 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 you know, and we talk about it and, and then I give him the signs and explain to him why I was calling for the pitches that I was just in general on an average, you know, mm -hmm. but those rules hold true. <laughs> you know, I was watching games to prepare for some of the players we had talked about a little bit. And uh, I said, look at that. You know, it's, it's as true today as it was in 1920, you know, so to speak. Yeah. Well, Steve right here is Pete Collins. And on our first comment of the night, 
Pete says, great coach, better man. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I appreciate that, you know. And, and then, then not only that, uh, a great personal friend of the show and also a minor league uh, pitcher for the uh, Boston Red Sox, you know, CT, he's just in shock. He's, he's dang, that's it. You know, he's, he's in awe because, you know, we, we got a legend on the podcast right now. So, well, I, I appreciate that guys. You know, I mean, let, let, let's do this one. Let's look at Ted, you know, uh, Marine pilot. So, you know, mm -hmm. gives up five years of his career to military service. So he's a veteran spearheads, the Jimmy fund. I mean, the guy puts his name on the Ted Williams League, which is a, a, an unbelievable accomplishment in the end or ending years of his life. Um, and then, of course, you know, in two Hall of Fames, the Baseball Hall of Fame and the Fishing Hall of Fame. A lot of people don't realize that. I, one of the first times I saw Ted, I saw him put a, a, a fly in a coffee can at about 70 yards. I couldn't believe wow. what I was you know, with a fly rod. You know, I know mm -hmm. I'm no fisherman, but I could see the physical difficulty of what he was doing. It was at the Heinz Center in Boston. I never forgot it. Um, but, you know, Ted deserves this. And what a lot of people forget about Ted, and it really should be the heart of this podcast, and, um, is that Ted Williams is the undisputed number one forefather of technical hitting. No one documented hitting like Ted Williams. It was done in a book, The Science of Hitting. No one had done that before. Uh, people had said some things about it. You know, Ruth wrote, wrote a book, you know, early on. He put about a chapter into how to hit, what to do, what not to do. But Ted ripped into it. And uh, he is really, without question, the first master of how to hit a baseball. And... Um, and to have him, and, and I think it was outstanding for him to say, I'm going to select somebody, not Mike Epstein, not Kyle Spencer, not Wade Boggs. I'm going to select this phys ed major from Carlos, this hardworking guy, because he understands it better than anyone else. And I had proven that out to him year after year, over a 15 year period of time for him to make that decision. So, um, but the, the, the crux of this podcast is that Ted Williams is the number one forefather of technical hitting, and I am honored to carry on his work. And you know what's cool about it, George and, and uh, Josh, is that now Major League Baseball is ready to hear it. They're ready to kind of hear what's in this podcast. I couldn't say that was true in the 80s or 90s. It's just started to take shape again. And we'll get into that when we talk about some of these guys, some of these hitters, you know, when we get into it a bit. Yeah. So, so Steve, uh, tell everybody, like, how did you and Ted, how was your relationship at first? You know, when you guys first uh, met each other, you know, how did you go from, you know, two ships crossing in the night to, like, you guys were bonded together. But like you said, told me before, Steve, like, you, you – you weren't the yes man that, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, try to be, you've actually got some nice arguments with, with them and counterpointed back and forth, you know, both ways. Oh, we, well, I, you know, well, let's, let's, let's back up to the meeting. So 
Yeah. I, I, I make my I make my Bridgewater State team as a freshman. And the coach decides to put me on both teams, the varsity and the JV at the same time. So I'm constantly going, I'm on a bus to, I'm going to a game every single day. That's the way it worked out. And I made my team much like Ted as a pitcher because mm-hmm. I, I was a pretty good pitcher and all. And then basically what happened is much like Ted, it, my coaching came to the decision that I was a pretty good hitter and a strong outfielder and they, they, I would be more helpful as an outfielder. So my coach, Fred Brown, he worked at Ted Williams camp. He had been there for years. And he's listening to me talk about the science of hitting. And he's going, we're driving to Westfield or North Adams or Connecticut or something. And I'm going on and on. You got to get a good pitch to hit. And, you know, if the count's one and one, then blah, 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 going on and on and on. You got to have a two-strike stroke. And, you know, this is what you call the inside out stroke. Here's how it's done. And he's, for all, get up here. So he brings me up the front of the bus. And I'm probably 19 at the time, you know. And he said, I work at Ted Williams camp. Would you like to get me? You, would you like to see if I can get you a job there? I said, yeah, coach, that'd be great. That'd be great. So I get the job there. So now we're in orientation and they're giving out assignments. And I have already, guys, I've probably read Ted's book, The Science of Hitting. I'm going to say be, at that point, somewhere between 50 and 70 times. So I'm very well read <clears throat> on the science of hitting and I'm a physical education major. So I'm going to classes and we're talking about the cons- conservation momentum. We're talking about design of practice environments. We're talking about anatomy, kinesiology, human movement. So I'm hearing all this from a blackboard standpoint. And now I'm working at Ted Williams camp at the same time. And I'm a pretty solid Ted Williams science of hitting student. None of this did I realize how it was going to play out. So we're given our assignments and they say, does anyone want the little league batting cage? And I fire my hand up. And if, if the guy, and there were guys that from the Ted Williams camp that may be listening to this podcast because I made them aware of it. And they all started laughing. They thought that was the funniest thing. Here's this all this enthusiastic college freshman, and he fires his hand up because he wants to be the little league batting instructor at the Ted Williams camp. Now, to me, I saw it as an opportunity to control my own area, to kind of do the things I was learning in college and administer the Ted Williams theory at the Ted Williams camp. They literally laughed out loud. Well, one of my favorite coaches, Earl Matheson, great, great guy, just had his birthday the other day. He was, I believe, the director, my director at the time of Ted Williams camp. And they're all chuckling. And he's like, well, you guys calm down a little bit. And they're like, you know, rookie, you know, they're like getting on me because that means I'm going to teach a bunch of eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year old kids all day long. Best thing I ever did. Best thing I ever did. And it, and, and so uh, to summarize that, I do a great job of that. And we get in arguments. We were talking a little bit, um, Josh, about how I bang heads. I remember my, my my coordinator, the guy that was above me at Ted Williams camp, we want to use the batting tee. We want to use the batting tee. I said, I really don't like the batting tee. 
I because that goes against some things I'm learning at school and I'm kind of fighting with them. Well, yeah, but we need to use this. I said, well, we really don't. We I don't like the batting tee because we don't know how to use it correctly. And there's better things to do. So we're getting into spats like this. Mm -hmm. So that's how it all how it all started. Now, what ends up happening is two weeks later, I can't go anywhere without 30 kids around me. If I go to get an ice cream, there's 30 kids around me. And it wasn't because they like, and of course, you know, I was in great shape and I was, you know, I was a ball player myself. I was a college baseball player. But it wasn't so much that, but I was enthusiastic and I was making them better. And they were constantly asking me questions. Coach, which bat should I use? Should I stand like this? Should I do this? Did you, did you mean that in practice? No, no, not that. This. And this is what breakfast was like for me at the Ted Williams camp. This is what, you know, like if I went out on the field just casually to play some pepper with other college guys that were at the camp, there were 30, 40 kids just watching me play pepper because it was like they, they wanted to just watch me. And they wanted to, maybe I had a couple minutes to talk to them about whatever it was. So now Ted, um, uh, there was a, an old umpire there. I can't remember his name. He was an Italian guy. He was the nicest guy in the world. And I can't, I feel terrible because I can't remember his name right now. And uh, I was crossing him way out, a couple of hundred yards out in the field. And he goes, the big guy's here. I said, huh? He goes, the big guy, the boss. I said, huh? He goes, Williams. I said, you shitting me. <laughs> he looks at me and he's like, no, I'm not kidding you. He's here. And I just, I, I just started, I had this inner shake. Like, you know, my whole world was built around what this person had taught me out of a book, you know, the trip to the library. And now he's here. So, and I'll wrap this up in a second because it's it's that cool. So then we meet Ted. You get to get everybody together. We get everybody together, all the kids. You're talking three, two, three hundred kids, a staff of probably 30 to 50 guys. And we all get together. And we, this is this guy. This is this guy. This is this guy. And then Coach Matheson, my director, he said, Ted, this is the kid I was telling you about earlier. And Ted looks at me and he goes, so you're the hitter, huh? That's he just looks <laughs> at me and I go and I look back at him and I said, well, I, I put my time in. That's what I said back to him. He goes, me and you were going to talk. We'll talk. So you guys uh, just imagine this. The only thing I can compare it to is the relationship between the Martian and the little boy in E.T. That's the only thing that reminds me of this story. Now it's the next morning. Okay. And I said, I go back to my room to go to sleep. You know, I got to get up. I got work. I got to be, you know, I got to be to breakfast at seven or whatever, you know, the, the schedule. Because it was run with a military flair to it. They had that mm -hmm. set to it, you know, mm -hmm. beyond time, you know, <laughs> which was great. So I said, man, I said, Ted Williams said, we're going to talk hitting. So I sat down that night and I made out a list of about 10 questions. In those days, I didn't have sweatpants that had pockets in them. So I folded it up and I kind of put it in my sweats and my sweats were cut off and I put it in my sweats, like kind of just in there, like with the bands holding it. So, and just in case, I'm going to talk hitting with Ted Williams, right? The greatest hitter in the history of the game wants to talk to this Bridgewater State mongrel. Okay. 
So now I'm at, in the breakfast line, and it's a long line. And imagine this, okay? So this is Ted Williams camp and the breakfast area. You got an area that'll hold 300 kids, and then there's a big sheet of glass, and behind that will hold about 50 coaches. And I'm in line. I'm going to get my pancakes, you know. I'm starting another day, you know. And all of a sudden I hear bang, 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 a rapping. And it's Ted rapping on the glass. He's on the other side of the glass in this breakfast area in front of everybody. Everybody's looking and they're like, Ted's banging on the glass, you know, <laughs> and the whole place is looking and he seems to be looking at me and I'm, you know, I'm got to be a good 70 feet away from him. And he's banging on the glass, banging on the glass. And the kid behind me was another coach as he goes, hey, Steve, I think he's pointing at you. So I, I look up at him and I go like this. I go like this. And he goes, puts his arms up and rolls his head back like, yeah, you stupid bastard. That's sort of like mentality. <laughs> And the minute he did that, and this is kind of funny because we, I grew up, we had two brothers and my stepfather, my father died when I was five. My stepfather was a tough guy. And the minute he did that, I said, I kind of got my dander up a little bit. And I was like, don't make fun of me like that. You know, I, I kind of felt that feeling, even though I love the guy to death. And I said, well, I'm getting my breakfast. Do that to me. I, I'll have pancakes and I'll scramble eggs. I wouldn't get out of line. I don't care who it is. So that was the first thing I ever did right with Ted Williams. So I took my breakfast and I walked over and I sat down and I'll never forget it. He leaned back like, oh, yeah, well, we want to talk. We're going to talk hitting. Here I am. What do you got? And this is what he was like. He's really like laid back and loud. And I reached down on my pants and I pulled out that paper and I said, did you stride the same way on a curveball as you did as a fastball? And when he saw me take out the paper, he went like this. He like, you know, kind of like, holy shit, this kid's, this kid's ready. Two hours later, Steve Feroli and Ted Williams were the only ones left in that breakfast place. Coach Matheson just made my job go away. You have no responsibility. Just I had no. I was sitting with God, so to speak, at 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 the Ted Williams camp with Ted Williams. Nothing, no responsibility I had mattered. And he answered every question, getting up, demonstrating, and he kept saying, "That's a good question." And he kept saying, "No one's ever asked me that before," and he was genuinely excited about what I was asking him because they weren't running the mill questions. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll give you an example. One of the questions I asked him, I said, hey, if the count is three and one and a guy throws you a pitch in a tough part of your strike zone, you know, Ted didn't like low and away. I said, are you going to go after that pitch? Or you are you going to swing at it? Or are you going to go into a two-strike situation? And he goes, you know, no one's ever asked. That's a hell of a question. He said, I'll tell you what the answer is. Who the hell is out there? Who's out there? If it's Whitey, I'm swinging. You know, he's talking like that. If it's Whitey Ford, I'm going after that ball because I'm not getting that son of a bitch ain't getting two strikes on me. That mm -hmm. sort of mentality to me. And, mm -hmm. and his young guy asking him high-level questions. And uh, 
so anyway, if you can imagine that, I'll stop right there. That story, I mean, I had died and gone to heaven that day. It was the most unbelievable. And we walked out, just me and him, nobody else. And there's this big picture of him, you know, you know, following through, this huge picture in the cafeteria. And he goes, you know something, Feroli, I'm going to tell you something. He goes, on most of my home runs, I was three quarters of an inch up on the bat. And then he just starts walking away from me fast. Not a half an inch, George, not an inch. Three quarters of an inch is how he says it, Josh. Three quarters. This is who I'm talking to. And he just walks away from him. We'll talk again. And he goes, you know, I've had enough of you. And that's, he had that way about him. And, and, and I, man, that, I'll tell you. So that's it. a little bit long-winded, but worth it. I mean, think, isn't that, isn't that a cool story? You know? Yeah. yeah. To, to, to sit there and and that someone you idolize, you know, someone you someone that, that you idolized, you studied, you read, you know, the book you said between fifty and seventy times, to actually get a chance, you know, most people wouldn't, you know, take the opportunity as, as you did. You was well prepared and you surprised him by that, yeah. you know, because he he might have just thought, ah, you know, he's gonna ask a couple questions. He's, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, shut them down pretty much. But you, know, you were well thought out, well prepared. And, you know, that's what most people should be, you know, not only in interviews, you know, uh, talking, but also, you know, in the game of baseball itself. You know, you, you yeah. got to you got to know your opponent inside and out and what they're thinking. So but it, you and I talked and Ted was very. uh persuasive we will say so uh you know you told me a great story because you know our, our podcast the pesky podcast named after mr uh john pesky so uh you know i know you have a, a great story that most people probably do not know and i would love this you know for you to share that Yeah, well, basically, the gist of the story is this, and I don't have the details of it like I did yeah. the other one because I wasn't there. But I mm -hmm. do know for a fact that uh, obviously um, Ted and Johnny and Dominic DiMaggio, DiMaggio were all very good friends. I met Dominic as well. Uh, they were great, great friends. And the way the story goes is Ted was going to enter the Marine Corps, and or he, he was he was going to go into the Marine Corps or a section of the Marine Corps or something and basically talk Johnny Pesky into going with him. Like Johnny either didn't have to go or didn't have to go to the certain section of it. And he said, you're coming with me. And, and Johnny went And And I know that I don't know the exact details of it, but I know that Ted talked Johnny into some section of the military, whether it was the Marine Corps or, some part of it. And, and Johnny really just went because Ted said it was like, yeah, my friend, I'll go too. And I just love that. I mean, we're talking about, you know, World War II or the Korean conflict. It's like, I'm going, you're coming with me. Okay. Talk about friends. I mean, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And uh, I, I could get the details more on that story, but there's something, they, they, that's the gist of it, but I don't know the exact details. Uh, but think of that. I mean, you know, um, 
you know, George, if uh, Josh turns to you and says, we're going to be paratroopers, are you going? <laughs> you know what I mean? Never jump out of a perfectly good airplane. <laughs> I mean, that's, I'll that's, say, I, I, I'm pretty persuasive, but I don't think I could, I could persuade George into that. Uh, so. not, not a chance, buddy. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Steve, I, I, I want to sit there and show a great picture that you had sent of you and Mr. Pesky. Bam, right there. Yeah. Yeah, that was a so. nice. Well, you know, and, and it, it was an honor to meet him. And uh, what a nice guy, just genuinely nice guy. And uh, you could kind of feel it, you know, you know, Ted had an edge to him, you know, Johnny was just, he was just that type of really easygoing, nice guy. And um, um, I, I, I love that picture that was taken. I was, I had spoke at the Ted Williams museum and that picture was taken, I think a day or two before that I had done a clinic for the kids in the area on the grounds of the Ted Williams uh, Museum and then spoke a couple of days later. And you know what was really funny about that was, um, oh man, who was it? Uh, oh God, I can't remember. One of the ball players. I'll think of it before the podcast over, went up to Ted and said his favorite part of the Ted Williams Museum presentation was what I had to say about kids and hitting and the development of hitting. And um, Oh, I can't, I, I, I'll think of the player's name before we get off. I can't remember who it was now, but um, yeah, Johnny, uh, um, what a great player too. I don't know his stats off the top of my head, but I think he might've been a 300 hitter. Well, uh, our, good friend, our good friend, Pete Collins, of course, has to, uh, bam, put up some stats for us. In 1942, Pesky's rookie season in the majors, he led the American League with 205 hits but was in military service with the Navy before the year was out. Yep. <laughs> and th th yep. There like, you go. You're coming with me. I'll bet you. That's exactly. I'll bet you. That's the year we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because so, fighter pilots were with the Navy. Then a fighter pilot was the Navy had the, had the fight of, had the fighters. I know that for a fact in those years. So, uh, Steve, let's sit there and, you know, because we could be talking for hours, you know, with you. So, you know, let's try to bounce around a, a little bit and let's fast forward to uh, I love the story of how the Ted Williams League, you finally got the OK from Ted himself. Yeah. And, you know, that you said that that was that was hard because you kept at him and kept at him and, you know, you had. Uh, paper and after paper written and so let, let's uh let's talk a little bit of, of how you know he finally gave the okay and i i want to hear you say those exact words of, of what he said when he was out there on that fishing boat to you <laughs> are you sure um uh, well to make a long story short um in the in the 80s uh hitting had headed in a direction which was absolutely ridiculous. Um, basically, you had players, and I know that this is before your time, Josh, but George, you might remember a little of this, but in the, uh, in the 80s, you had players that were coming onto their front foot and kind of hitting down on the ball. Uh, there was a guy named um, Charlie Lau who had created Charlie this. Lau. 
off your front foot theory and Walt Hereniak had picked it up in Boston. And um, so here I am, you know, uh, a Ted Williams disciple and understanding the theory inside out. And I'm in the worst possible time, maybe in baseball history, for me to progress in any way, shape or form. As a matter of fact, I was just talking to a guy the other day um, that had talked to the general manager at that time um, where uh, uh, man, I'm kind of getting off the track here, but basically talked to the general manager, Lou Gorman of the Boston Red Sox and said to him that he, they were looking for a batting instructor in the time. He said, this kid here, Ted's, Ted's disciple, he's probably the best batting instructor in baseball. And Lou Gorman said back to him, he probably is, but Ted hasn't played in a long time and everything's going in a different direction. He won't fit in. This is back in like 1988 or so. It's really sad. And that's the that's the general manager of the Boston Red Sox back then talking about me. And, you know, I'll be 65 in March and I get better every year. It's kind of like, you know, um, but anyway, going. So. So what do you do? In other words, baseball doesn't hear what Ted Williams wants to say. And if they don't want to hear what Ted Williams wants to say, they certainly don't want to hear what Steve Feroli has to say. So what do you do? Ted goes fishing and enters the memorabilia portion of his career. And Steve Feroli, the Ted Williams camp closed. Steve Feroli started his own boys baseball camp. So I'm in that camp and I'm watching and I'm like, something's wrong here. I'm, I'm watching the kids play and, you know, and it's my thing and I want to do the very best I can, you know, being a, a phys ed major and, 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 and an American, I want to do a good job. I want to do a great job. Uh, and I'm watching and there's something wrong. And I'm, I'm was at Ellis field in Hanover, my hometown. And I'm looking out from the dugout and I'm watching the pitcher pitch and I'm kind of drifting there right now. And I said to myself, bang, the plate is wrong. It just came to me like a, like a, you know, like it just came to me. The plate is wrong. Now, what do I mean by that? It makes no mathematical sense for a boy with shorter arms and a shorter bat to bat off the same width plate as a man. But yet, my friends, five million kids in 92 countries are doing that right now, except for the Ted Williams League, which uses the correct plate in relation to the boy's arm and bat. Now, so that's the gist of it. So I see that, and now I go on a tent. That's like, you know, back in, I'm going to say, 84, 83, somewhere in there is when I saw this problem. Well, now I do a 10-year study. I'm measuring the distance kids are staying stand away from the plate. I'm measuring how fast on an average the pitches are being thrown. Um, doing ball and strike counts and, and trying to uh, understand how much the umpire is opening the zone, which is a tragedy. Um, looking at um, the most popular bats they're using. Uh, all this sort of study. And now I'm trying to shape it into what makes sense. So after 10 years of all this, I decide that the most of the equipment that is being used between the ages of 8 and 12, you know, that, that's the section of baseball I'm talking about. I'm not mm -hmm. really talking about there are problems from 13 to 15 or 14, but I'm really not talking. I'm talking about 8 to 12 primarily. 
that that's what the study was done. And I played a hundred games under two sets of rules and two sets of equipment. I mean, I beat it to death. I bring it to Ted and I say, Ted, this makes no sense. So he's like, what are you talking about? And this meeting was uh, in Boston, as a matter of fact. And that meeting was supposed to be a half an hour. That lasted three or four hours because whenever we got together, he was, he was just as excited about me as I was about him because I got him thinking about things he hadn't thought about before. Ted Williams owned his own baseball camp, I'm sure. And for the first eight years, he was there every single day of that camp. He then, you know, kind of got away from it and would just kind of come in for a week or so as time went on. But in the beginning of it, he was there to make sure it was the way he wanted it. And I'm sure there were many days where he was watching and going, there's something wrong here, but he couldn't put his finger on it. The problem was, is when the plate is incorrect, all sorts of things go haywire. So I said to him, I said, this plate is incorrect and it needs to be fixed. He thought about it some more. He looked at it some more and uh, we would talk about it over the phone or in person. And then one time he was on a fishing trip. I can't do it, Josh. It's that bad. But one time we were on a fishing. I'll put the beeps in. And uh, he calls me up on the phone. I answer the phone. And he says, this is Ted Williams. He said, how the blankety blank did you ever come up with this? The more I think about it, this is the best damn thing I ever seen. And I said back to him, I said, I'm as crazy as you are. And he just kept laughing. He just kept laughing on the phone, laughing and laughing because he knew in my, I was, I was as crazy as he was in my own right. And, um, and then he just, he said, you go ahead with it, fire it up. And we created the Ted Williams league and, um, the Ted Williams league to date between the ages of eight and 12 has decreased hit batters by 48% and never had a case of little league elbow or throw his elbow which plagues 20 to 50% of every youth player. That study was done years ago. That study was done in like 1978 or so. Chicago, uh, University of Chicago, a doctor there did it and said 20 to 50%. And she said, we, I can't pinpoint it exactly because little boys don't complain. They don't say, oh my, I'm hurt, so I'm not going to be able to play. They don't say a word. They just keep throwing. And I know my older brother was exactly that kid. He had little league elbow. My, my mom had three boys. One of them had little league elbow. So to me, 20%, 50%, 33, 35 is pretty much right in the middle. One out of three. And that's the number I use. Ted Williams League, no such thing. We have eliminated it by use of proper equipment and proper dimensions. And that, that should go, in my opinion, and, you know, if some of the people listen to this, they're going to fall off their chairs. In my opinion, Josh, George, Steve Feroli, between 8 and 12, we never played baseball. Because it looked like baseball, but it's not baseball. You know, if you if you get a six-string guitar and it only has four strings on it, or the strings are out of tune, is that guitar playing? No. It's it's kind of like guitar playing, but it's wrong. This is what I'm saying. If 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 the if there's a string missing or it's out of tune or it's incorrect, the wrong length call that being out of tune the wrong dimensions making it out of tune is that are you playing the guitar no 
It's, well, we won the Little League World Series. Not baseball. Yeah, not in my opinion. And I say this. Prove me wrong. I say, say every listener, get 20 of the best people you can, and you prove me wrong. And I said that to Ted. He said, when he looked at all this, he said, what, what, what are you saying? I said, this is what I'm saying. I bet you explain it to him in detail. And I said, prove me wrong. And that's what led to that phone call, Josh, from the fishing trip. Mm -hmm. He used to go fishing with Bobby Dole or Johnny Pesky or Demai, and they probably talk about this. And he said, yeah, the kid said, prove me wrong. And I'm sure you can't. It's really simple math. The trick is finding it. The, what was what was the hot pot was me sitting there at Ellis Field going, something's wrong. What is it? Not giving up. What is it? What? Ah, the plate's wrong. It doesn't make sense. And it doesn't make sense. You know, think of it. Does it make sense? How can a boy? And you know what the solution is? We're going to bring these titanium, you know, uh, aluminum high bats built by better material than the space shuttle that's a fact bats built by better materials than the space shuttle that in my opinion are completely unnecessary and out of scale to put a band-aid on exactly what we're talking about right here that's what yeah. that and who pays for it the parents do and they're handcuffed the local place you know like let's pick a town let's say Dedham. they're always good to be picked so Dedham. Dedham might want to play by Ted Williams League rule. And they say, oh, well, I was listening to this guy, Steve Froll and Ted Williams League. We want to change the plate and do this. And they get handcuffed because headquarters says, well, you, we have insurance binders and we have to play by traditional rules. And you, you know, if you're going to try to play in the state tournament, the national tournament, you, those rules aren't going to be in place. So that the local town program gets handcuffed, even if they wanted to try to do it right. It's really a very interesting uh, paradox, if you will. It's like, but it's incorrect. So we're going to try to have the first tournament this year. I'm going to call everybody around here and say, hey, let's go for it. Let's try to do it, you know. Let's see who can win a real baseball game, you know, because, you know, uh, let me give you some examples of what happens because I'm talking and I'm making some big claims. So imagine – the big strong kid goes out there and I was that kid and he strikes just about everybody out out because because the strike zone is now bigger than it should be and the kid can't defend it the pitcher now has the ability to overthrow the ball or as Ted would say, throw the shit out of it that's how we refer to it and that's exactly right so now the kid is overthrowing the ball because the strike zone is too big. He's got a bigger strike zone than the boy can defend. So he throws the ball hard. Now what's really weird is the hitters all become defensive and they don't swing. So now you lose the swinging strike and the foul ball strike. So you know what the irony is? The coaches start saying, hey, George, you're up in this game. Open the zone up a little, will you? We got to get out of here. God, you know, because yep. the kids swing, they're petrified. They're afraid. So they're defensive. So you lose the swinging strike and the foul ball strike, if you're following me. And now it's yeah. all call strikes. So the kid's defensive. So now on a, a, on a zone that's already too big, they call the ball that's an inch or two outside. Strike three, you're out. Strike three, you're out. You know, up here, up here. Okay. That's, the, you know, th those are some of the results of what happens from uh, having the wrong plate. And here's the kicker. The guy who did it all, 
late 40s, Carl Stotts. And I love the guy. I really do. He's long gone now. Carl Stotts, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Takes a few nephews. had no kids of his own. Gets his nephews. I'm going to create kids baseball. There was no such thing as kids anything. No kids football. No kids basketball. Nothing. He's going to create kids baseball. Puts four teams together in the neighborhood. And he... He's getting it going. It's really popular. He's really into it. He brings it to Pennsylvania State University, and he says, hey, what do you think of my little idea of scaling down baseball? They look at it for several days, and they say, Kyle, we're really excited about what you're doing, and we really admire what you're doing. However, we think that some of your dimensions and equipment is incorrect, and we also doubt a parent's ability to coach other children. Pennsylvania State should win a retroactive national award for that advice. Kyle did not listen to them. He went on his own, created Little League Baseball, which is now Little League Baseball of America. And we are still 70, 75 years later, suffering from the same dimensional problems. It was never done correctly and it's still off. I don't, the book's here somewhere. I couldn't grab it. Kyle wrote a book called A Promise Kept. In one of the chapters, he said, I knew the plate was wrong, but we were coming out of a depression. He said, I thought the plate should be more like 14 and a quarter inches, which is almost perfect. And he said, we were coming out of the depression, so I couldn't get anywhere to make a different size plate. So we went ahead with it. So he knew it was off and he just did it be like for the excitement of the kids. And you got to be able to say no to kids. No, nope, we're not playing until we get it right, kids. Sit over there. Ride your uh, back to the future skateboards or whatever until we figure this out correctly. And then I'll call you back and we'll play baseball correctly. So that's kind of the story. So he knew it was off and he did it anyway. And it's still off today. And I contacted Little League back in the 80s. And they said, oh, this had never been a problem before. So we appreciate your, your enthusiasm, but this has never been a problem before. I said, yeah, no one's ever said it before. Yeah, that's a true story. So, see, you get me riled up. I'll just start rolling. You got to shut me up eventually. The dog was here. She just hit me with something. He just hit me in the head. Shut him up. He'll keep going, you know. Well, well, Steve, uh, you're, you're my first conversation we've, we had was about this past year's World Series. Yeah. And, you know, you told me a stat. Mm -hmm. that I was utterly shocked in disbelief. Yeah. So uh, you're watching the World Series, and, you know, what is the biggest uh, thing that you, that you're, you know, pull out of the World Series besides, you know, the young kids on Arizona and, you know, the, the, the fighting team that, that the Rangers were? But what was the biggest thing you pulled from it, you know, on a hitting aspect? Well, it's kind of like a double-edged sword, and I'll tell you why. It's a very, it's a very exciting time in baseball history because what has happened is all the players have learned how to swing. They can all swing. And remind me to tell you the story about uh, Dennis Eckersley and Jim Lombard. That'd be a good story. Maybe we can get to that. But um, all the players can swing. The problem is they can't hit. Now, you might say, geez, what he's talking about? Well, you know, what is he talking about? And I, I've learned over the years to try to 
try to do the best I can at explaining something very complex in a simple way. When you said the World Series, Josh, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say every playoff game from the wild card to the last pitch of the series. Never done it before. Never. And this year, because I was so excited about seeing all these good swings, I said, you know, I'm going to watch the series because it would make sense to me that somebody's going to call me up and say, hey, you know, you want to help us out a little bit here? Because that to me, you know, basically what they're doing is they're trying to execute the Ted Williams theory. So remember I said earlier in the 80s and 90s, no such thing. They didn't want to hear it. They don't want to hear anything about it. But I knew as a phys ed major, and Ted used to say, you wait, it'll come all around again. Things travel in circles. They'll be back. They'll figure it out. They're not that stupid. You know. So he was right. So 80s and 90s go by. I could see late 90s is starting to creep in a little bit. And it's always been there to some degree. But I'm talking about here it comes. I'll never forget I said Johnny Gomes. And he hits a ball. And he's got his hands in really good position uh, to an, uh, an, uh, an extreme amount in his swing. And I said, oh, look at that. And he hits a ball off the green monster or something. And I said, look at his hand position, how long he held that. I said, oh, boy, here it comes, here it comes. Now, I'm not going to go into that. But little hints like that, I'm saying, you know, because that's something you wouldn't see. I said, oh, he's starting to understand the contact point. Major League Baseball starting to really understand the contact point. So I would start watching and watching. So now I'm saying, geez, I better start paying attention here because somebody's going to call me up. There's going to be some owner that's about to go bankrupt. And they're going to say, how can I get the most bang out of my buck? And somebody's going to say, well, you know, old Ted Williams had a kid here that was a, a master at this back in the 80s, and he's still at it. You know, you better get him before he croaks. Well, I'm thinking like that a little bit. So I, I'm going to watch every pitch. So I'm all excited about the swings and I'm watching and we're in a game and the game's on the line and it's a one, one score and we're in the sixth inning and there's a man on second and two strikes and the guy's trying to hit it over the goddamn fence. And I'm saying to myself, this isn't how this game is played. Ted Williams was an excellent two strike hitter. Babe Ruth was an excellent two strike hitter. Hey, this, this, this isn't how this, when you have two strikes on you, you need to shorten up. You need to think about, I need to get that run in. I need to try to win this game. I'm not going to do it with two strikes on me trying to blast the ball on the pull side of the field. And I saw that over and over again. So that's one thing that made me absolutely sick. And I'll say, I'll say it like this, Josh, no two strike approach. I have the batting average for Major League Baseball, from my from what I saw, from the first game of the wild card to the last pitch of the World Series, around a buck fifty. That's with two strikes. That's the two strike batting average of Major League Baseball in the playoffs. Now I can think of a girl that I worked with, the cinema. Her name was Sue Merrifield. She's still a Red Sox fan today. She was a Red Sox fan back when I was 16, 17 years old. And she's still a Red Sox fan. 
And I feel like saying, Sue, you know, it's too bad they don't have a two-strike stroke because you'd be able to see a better game. And I saw a thing about Theo Epstein, how he's on some sort of committee about bringing the excitement of the game, you know, working the game so we can get more excitement back. You know, so, you know, like the pitch clock, you know, we'll kind of get it so it's, you know, moving more and more excitement. Well, you got to believe if we don't have a two-strike stroke, there's less plays at second, less plays at third, less plays at home there's less balls in play. So that's something that's extremely important. Was Rogers Onsby a good two-strike hitter? You better believe he was. We jump over some of these kids. I had more fun because Josh said to me, oh, maybe we talk about some of the players. I said, well, geez, I'm really not a fan. And, you know, if some of the upper-level guys are listening, I'm not a fan because why would someone who's mass – Ted Williams looked at me dead in the eye at 21 years old and said, I had never met anyone that knows as much about hitting as you. I was 21. I'll be 65 in March. I don't watch this crap. I'm 30 years ahead of it. However, I'm excited about it because it's a stitch in the flag, man. We're Americans. This is American baseball. These are the most talented men in the world, and they can't execute this skill. Uh, they're not lazy. What's going on? They don't understand. They don't understand what they're doing. So it's really exciting. So I'm looking. I'm saying, well, they're getting it. They're starting to get on the right road here. Okay. So now they're ready to hear what needs to be said. Okay. So no two-strike stroke would be my first thing I would say to you, Josh. They can't mm -hmm. get two strikes. The next thing, George, Josh, they're out of style. Out of style. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, when, you, when one of the things I disagreed with Ted on is Ted said, your style is your own. I said, oh, man, don't say that. Whoa, whoa, what are you talking about? Me and him used to fight about that. No, 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 no. Because when you, you that was Ted would say, it isn't a William stroke. It isn't a root stroke. It's your own stroke. Your style is your own. Now, what was as a phys ed major, I'd say, no, 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 that, that, I don't like that. That's, I don't like you saying that. Now, here's what I mean by that. When you say style, people associate that with technique. That's not what I'm talking about. When I say style, I mean like, uh, for example, let's say um, if we took uh, Larry Bird and we took um, Danny Ainge and they might shoot a basketball in a similar way, they use a similar technique to take a jump shot or a set shot or a layup, but they have totally different styles of play. So when I say style, I mean a role, a position. Danny Ainge was a point guard and Larry Bird was a power forward. Totally different roles. Could Larry Bird be the point guard? Sure he could. Could Danny Ainge be a power forward? Sure he could. Would it help the Celtics? No. So when we talk about Gaskas, Yoshida, Devis, in my opinion, all out of style. Great play, great talent, out of style. An expert of an expert, the chosen successor of the greatest hitter of all time, out of style. I'll prove it out to you in a second. I mean, in detail, how these ball players could be way better and how exciting that is. I don't mean to sound condescending. I'm watching them saying, this kid, man, he just spent a week with me. I'd change his life. 
they don't understand. And how could they? You know, I I, I love the, the movie Top Gun. I mm-hmm. watched the movie. The second one, though, the Maverick one. And this is mm-hmm. in there where they're going to they got all these hotshot pilots. And who are we going to bring in to show them? Who talks to someone like Caskas or, or Devis? Who talks to them? If I'm standing in front of them, I can stand there like this. You're a kid to me. I've got, I'm in my 42nd year. I'm a master at this. I can talk to them and make sense to them in a way that they will respect and they will walk away going, hmm, that made sense. That made sense. That You know, the same type of conversations I have with Ted someone has to you really have to know what you're talking about you can't be taking advice from someone who made the same mistakes you are so it's 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 a it's a very interesting time in baseball history um so i'd say out of style in other words let's let's go into detail so let's take uh let's take Elvis. we all know who he is from the day he hit that rope at 20 years old you know when that with that the off the yankees pitcher that day we know the guy can blast the ball. All right. So Devis went to the plate 580 times last year at bats. He struck out 126 times. Not good. Okay. He walked 62 times. Okay. So let's just take a look at that a little bit. All right. What I'm saying is that Devis is trying to bat as what I would call a power pull hitter. My suggestion to that young man would be to bat as what I call a power middleman. Now, let me prove this out to you, okay? So, he's got a 271 batting average, and I think he's a 300-plus hitter, in my opinion. From what I Mm -hmm. see, he does a beautiful job. I mean, he's got a nice swing. He's full of energy. You know, he's... He's a very live young hitter with a whole thing in front of him. How old is he about? You guys know? Anybody know? I don't, I'm not good. Uh, uh, I want to say 20, yeah, 26, 27. I was yeah. going to guess 25, 26. Okay, so he's right. He's in a good place. Okay. All right. So what I would say to him is let's make you a power middleman. Now, what I mean by that is I'm going to, much like we were talking about the roles in basketball, rather than being that guy, let's be this guy. And this guy would be someone that's now trying to hit the ball more on a piece of pizza from normal second base position to normal shortstop position on an average. Now I'm not talking about every swing. There's always, you know, Ted would swing at a ball and slice it and would go over the third baseman's head. He'd get to second and go, oh, I got lucky on that one. That happens to everybody. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about his intentions, his, his, his procedure. Every at bat, if he can pull it off is to hit the ball to the middle of the field. That is not what he's doing now. What he's doing is turning the corner and trying to blast it into the right field bleaches. Okay. And I understand why. And he's hit 33 home runs. So you may, geez, he's doing pretty good, Steve. Why are you picking on him? Here's why I'm picking on him. Now, follow this. Here's where it gets, here's where the rubber meets the road. If he was to bat as a power middleman, he'll have more time and he will have more bat in line with the ball for a greater length of time. 
Now, I know that's maybe a lot to chew on, but what I'm saying is if he thinks about hitting the ball to the middle of the field, and, of course, there's a way of doing this and a way not to do it, so the person showing him has to understand, has to be able to explain it to him, but that's not hard to do. It's it's very simple, actually, as long as it's explained correctly and the, the, the player's following along. So now what he's going to do is he's going to have more time. He's going to be contacting the ball a little bit deeper in the zone. Now, how much time? I'm going to say six inches to a foot would be a guess off the top of my head. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot of time, but that's a ton of time. Because if I had a bat, you know, you know, right here would be the sweet spot. You know, this is an out, uh, that's an out, and that's an out. So six inches to a foot is a lot of time in hitting. So he's going to have more time. So now follow me on this. Everybody, we talked about two strikes, okay? So let's not talk about strike three, you're out. Let's talk about strike two. So what I'm saying to you is Raphael Devers, as a power middleman, will never get to strike two because strike two is going to be going off the left center field wall or a single up the middle or the right center field wall. He's never going to get, he will not get to two strikes as much as he does as a, as trying to be a power pull hitter out of style. He doesn't really have enough ability, in my opinion, to do that. He would be better off hitting the ball to the middle of the field, never getting to the two strike situation. And I'll bet you as a power middleman, rather than, now follow me on this, if you follow me so far, rather than being a 270 hitter, he'll be a 290 hitter just as a power middleman alone. Right from there, he'll pick up 20 points on that little extra time hitting the ball to the middle of the field. And again, there's more details to this that I'm leaving out, but they're not that hard. To, you know, they're not that hard to administer. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now let's keep now hang with me now. So now he's already a 290 hitter because he's not trying to be uh, the center. He's more being the forward, you know, again, a role, not style, a role, style and role are the same. And my, my problem with Ted was, Oh, your style's your own. Okay. So that, well, my style is I swing down on the ball and hit it on the ground. Ted say, no, I don't believe in that. Well, you said my style's my own. You see where I would conflict with Ted because I don't like the wording of it. I knew what he meant. I didn't like the way he was saying it. You see? Mm -hmm. So now we got Debus hitting 290 as a power middleman. Now here's the beauty of the whole thing. Okay. So now he doesn't have as many two strike situations because he never gets that second strike on him. So already his strikeouts are going to come down on that fact alone. His on-base percentage is going to come up. His slugging percentage is going to come up. His run scores are going to come Scored are going to come up. Run scored for the team are going to come up. And here's the most fun of all. So now let's just say for kicks that I said he went to the plate 580 times. So let's say he only went to the plate 500 times. We're going to make the math simple. So he, he only went to the plate in 2023 500 times. We know we went more, but we're just saying that for now. So now what Debus did is he struck out 22% of his at-bats last year. That's a fact. 22%, mm -hmm. give or take a couple of decimal, you know, like 10. 
22% is a good number. Let's call that 20. So now I'm saying Devers went to the plate 500 times last year and he struck and he struck out 20% of the time. It was really 580 and it was really 22, but we're going to say 20. And the reason we're saying that is because 20% of 500 is 100. So for anyone listening to this, this following, and I know I can be a pain in the ass for detail. 100 at-bats last year, Raphael Devers did nothing, and he batted 270 and hit 33 home runs. I'm saying, as a power middleman, he'll already be hitting 290, and then if we give him a two-strike stroke, I'm telling you as an expert of an expert, he's going to bat 270 or 290 out of that two-strike stroke, so now out of those 100 at-bats where he did nothing in 2023, he's going to get 27 or 29 more hits with his two-strike stroke. I can see the talent. He has no approach. And now what's that going to do? Now he's a 270, 290 hitter with two strikes. He has struck out a lot less. And then the other times... He's going to put the ball in play, maybe reach by error, maybe sacrifice somebody in. I'll bet you he could cut his strikeouts down to 50 or 60 a year with a good two-strike approach. I could see that boy hitting 40, 45, 50 home runs and batting 330 with just some what I consider to be relatively simple adjustments. Now, I know that was a lot. And I know I can. I, I, am I, are you guys following me? No, no, I, yeah, I'm absolutely. following you because it's, you know, I, I gave you three guys when we were talking, Steve. Yeah. And these three, and the three guys I gave you, and, and you can look at them because you did and you studied them, are completely different. Each one was a different batter, you know, and different role. And, you know, the way you explained Devers, like, was absolutely amazing because well, Devers. Devers is supposed to be our leader. You know well, what I mean? I, well, well, again, this is why I, I try to proceed this by saying I don't mean to sound condescending. What I mean to sound like more like um, is to excite the fan, excite maybe the Red Sox, excite Devers himself with the fact that there's, there's life in what you don't know. There's life in what you don't know. I remember mm -hmm. thinking I knew what hitting was. And then I got the science of hitting and I was like, I don't know shit. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm completely wrong about the feeling and the way to go about it. Okay. So just let me, let me go back to the three guys because. I'll say real quick, Steve, Pete, Pete Collins is saying Devers bat doesn't bat with a rip or even a zone. He treats every count, uh, the feel uh, with the same feel. And uh, Mike Carista, who was a former Red Sox uh, pitcher. And you're going to meet him next Wednesday. Uh, he absolutely agrees with a two with a no two strike approach for Devers. Every swing Devers takes is the same with the same intent. Yeah. Well, well, my you know it's funny because when Mike hears my Jim Lombard Dennis Eckersley story, he's going to get a quick kick out of it. Because what's funny about it is when I watched did my research because when you guys get you gave me these players to look at, I said mm -hmm. this will be fun. And of course, I'm watching highlight films. And to tell you the truth. 
what a, what a batting instructor really wants to see is what's happening when it's not a highlight. You know, you see these highlight films and it's like, oh, these guys are great. You see 30 at bats or whatever when everything went right or kind of, or even if they did it wrong and it still worked out right because there's a lot of that going on too. And um, But if I was to look at, um, at bats when they were grounding out or they were popping up or they were, that would be interesting to me. You know, that's, mm -hmm. it would take me, you know, a hundred at bats. I'd be, I, 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 I'd know Deva's inside out if I could really, really look them in. And it's a shame that I've faded away from it because, you know, it's like, um, it's boring to me. It's like, what are you doing? You know, I don't want to watch you strike out with the whole world. We're in the world series and the game's on the line. Same thing, trying to hit it out of the park. I'm like, we need a single kid. It's not that hard. As a matter of fact, it's a lot easier than what you're trying to do. Casas, am I saying that right? Yeah, Casas. Casas. Yep. Now, he also, in my opinion, is much the same as Devers. He also should be a power middleman. He's another guy trying to pull the ball out of the park. And another, he, you know, him, they must be eating ice cream together. 126 strikeouts. 70 bases on balls, you know, to me, you want to, I mean, off the top of my head, you want to at least have your strikeouts and your walks the same. To me, you should walk twice as much as you K, but that's, that's asking for a lot, but they need to think more like that. So because he's another one and, and man, again, good, you know, mechanically powerful. There isn't a person listening to this that isn't going to say, oh, if you have Koskas or Debas hit the center field, they're not going to be able to hit home runs. Really? They were hitting rockets. These guys, neither one of them are short on power. Now, of the three players I looked at, Yoshida, am I saying that right? Yeah. Yoshida is more in style than the other two, but he has more swing problems, in my opinion. He's more trying to hit the ball. He, to me, is what I call a middleman. He hit 15 home runs, but that's no case to be setting up there trying to hit the ball out of the park. 15 home runs. Let's see, he had 300, uh, 537 at-bats, 15 home runs. He struck out 81 times, which is a lot for him, in my opinion. He only walked 34. Now, granted, he's a smaller guy, and he was kind of made to hit. They kind of come at him. But when I watch him, but he proved, hey, you keep coming at me, I'll keep putting it in the seats too. So he's a guy to be reckoned with. I love him. I All these guys, I really enjoyed watching them. I just felt bad for them because they need to know some more things. So Yoshida, he is what I call a middleman. And I think he also should hit the ball to the middle of the field. But his mistakes would be more on the ground. Like if I was Koska's and Devers, I would not hit a ball on the ground ever until I had two strikes on me. That would be, that's what Ted Williams would say to them if he was here. And you hear the, you hear the guys on the, uh, the announcers saying, oh, it'd be nice if we could get that ball up in the air, get that ball in the air. And I, and I said, gee, that's a good point. I'm glad to hear that. That's right. I agree. But you need to understand what mistakes a power hitter should make and what mistakes a runner a middleman should make. To me, Yoshida is a middleman. Let me define that a little bit. So we, a power middleman is someone like Alvarez, uh, David Ortiz, to me, would be a power middleman. Now, I'm not talking about how they went about it because I don't think they, how they're doing it is not how I would 
suggest them to do it, but I'm giving you body types, you know, um, you know, uh, like I said, Alvarez, David Ortiz, the, he's a middleman body type, you know, Devers, uh, Casca's middleman power, middleman body type. Yoshida? No. Yoshida is more like uh, Dustin Pedroia-ish, who I also thought mm-hmm. was out of style, okay? Another guy trying to pull the ball and blast it. So, you know, Mookie Betts, I thought, was out of style. And again, you know, you people here, they say, wow, he's criticizing all these great guys. I don't really mean it like that. All I'm saying is give the devil, devil his due. Let me explain what I'm saying to you. So Yoshida, if he was to hit the ball to the middle of the field and go about it correctly, he also would have more time. And I think he's trying to do it. He just doesn't understand how to go about it. He would have more time and he would be on base way more, strike out way less, draw way more walks, and just be a, a, just even a better hitter for the team. And he had a 289 average. But he, to me, he could be like a, oh, I could see him hitting 330, 340. He has that kind of ability, in my opinion, from what I see. In his swing, he's got, of the three, to me, he swings the worst. He needs some adjustments swinging. But there's simple adjustments. But he is the closest to style. He he appears to me to be trying to hit the ball in the middle of the field. And again, is was he a rookie last year? Yeah, he was a rookie. He just came over from uh, Japan. No kidding. Yeah, he's he's very, very exciting and obviously had a fantastic year. Those are great numbers. But I'm trying to, you know, when you ask the question about the World Series, I'm trying to shed some light on what I consider to be style. And, and what I'm saying to you is we have never seen, what makes this conversation difficult for me and the listener is we've never seen a team that has been in style with a good two-strike approach. Never seen. That's I, That has never happened in baseball history. Now, let's go the other side of it. And it what, what was your friend's name, that the, the minor league pitcher, TC? CT. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you know, CT will will understand exactly what I mean because he's one of these guys. Pitching has done a great job. I'm going to say from the late '70s, maybe early '80s, creating every role. We got starters. We got mid relievers. We got guys that's going to go in and get the lefty. We got a guy that's going to get the righty. We got a closer. We got another closer. We got every type of style of pitcher to go in and tack the game that we need. Hitting doesn't have that. Hitting's got a bunch of idiots trying to blow the ball to the pull side in the air. They, they're in one style. If you, They have one role. I'm going to hit the shit out of it and try to put it in the right field bleachers. Or like you gave me all lefties. You don't like righties? <laughs> I'm going to hit all oh, no, Well, well <laughs> that, that, uh, no, no. The, the, the righty is something that kind of – uh, it's hard to find on our Red Sox lineup last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm yeah just, we get left heavy. But you see what I mean? There are, they, we got one role as a hitter. But CT will tell you, yeah, I mean, we okay, we, we hit, this was our mid-reliever. I, I believe Dennis Eckersley won the Cy Young as a reliever one year. I'm almost positive about that. You guys remember, mm-hmm. George? I believe yep. he won Cy Young as a relief pitcher. Whoa. Okay, what's that tell you about pitching and roles? That's that's a that that stat alone is interesting. We we I'm watching you know any lineup. I'm not picking on the Red Sox or any of these boys. I think they're fantastic. I just think there's 
another whole world that we're not aware of that's really exciting. And um, so, uh, you know, I'm watching the game and everybody seems to be just doing the same thing over and over again. And the big joke was it's either a strikeout or a home run. You've heard that one. You know, I mm -hmm. get come around college players all the time. They're like, oh, coach, the major leagues is a joke now. It's either a strikeout or a home run. And, I, you know, and I turn on a little bit and I kind of see what they mean. And I'm like, oh, that's too bad. But Ted never, the Ted Williams theory, he never meant for that to happen. That's certainly not how he coached the Senators or the or the Texas Rangers. He had guys very much trying to hit in style, maybe not the level that I'm talking about because, and, I'm, and, and hear me clear, do I think that I can administer the Ted Williams theory better than Ted? Yeah, I do. And I know that's hot. That hurts to say that with this display behind me and my buddy right over my shoulder, me and him together right here. But he, he was, he pulled me aside and said, you're better than, you're better than me at this. You know, and when he, and it was a beautiful compliment. What he was saying was, and, and, and that's a great thing. He was so proud of me. In other words, I had taken everything he had done, added on to it, questioned parts of it, expounded on parts of it, corrected parts of it. Like I was just talking about style and technique. That's not worded well. What I'm saying makes some sense. What Ted was saying was a little bit gray area. It left it left question. Casca's uh, makes a swing problem that I think is written incorrectly in the science of hitting. It has to do with his stride leg. I'm watching him say so he's getting that out of science of hitting. That was an incorrect part of the book. Ted didn't write that book. Ted dictated that book. That's an important factor. And there was parts of that book that did, were not like relayed correctly ted didn't make this move that costas is making and i know where it is in the science of hitting and i'm like i never agreed with that move ted didn't make that move when i was standing in front of him he would say that leg doesn't do that at that point and i felt like saying well in the science of hitting that's how it reads but i didn't out of respect but you know there were mistakes and i come along and i corrected those mistakes and expounded on it and strengthened the theory for the future that's what I'm talking about style and the two strike stroke. And those are all like additions to it. So uh, let me, while you got me on a roll, I'm watching the MLB network one day and Mark DeRosa is on with Josh Donaldson, Donaldson and they're talking about things. I'd say 40% of things that Ted Williams said in the science of hitting and 60% of things that I said, in my sequels, I wrote sequels to the science hitting. That's kind of really who I am, you know, like sequels. Disciple master, hit your potential. And they're talking about Ted and my work and not mention either one of our names. And they're talking about like it's something new. I got calls from all over the country. I have a friend of mine, Russ Hubbard and Joe Williams call me saying, Cripe, they sound like you in 1983. And they're talking about it like it's new. And I know. And what am I going to do about it? But so I get a little bit of a beef there and I might talk to them about it. I sent them an email saying, you know, why don't you have me on the MLB network? Let me talk about hitting a little bit. Haven't heard back yet. <laughs> I mean, I'm a tough guy to have on too. Tough to argue with, you know, but well, you, you sit there and think like Pete was telling me, uh, cause Pete was in your class 96. I want, I think he, he said, uh, but Pete's going to uh, comment if I got it wrong. But, you know, he was saying that the stuff 
that they're saying now with the launch angle and you know that you got a, the plane. Pete was saying you were saying that in '96. Oh God, yeah. You know, before, before that, really, yeah. yeah. You know, it's true. And you know, I, I'm going to give you another one too. And this is really, um, this one kind of really bothers me. Have you ever heard someone talking about hitting and they talk about what they call a separation? They'll say, oh, you got to separate, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to get up and show you. But basically, when you step forward, you kind of open your front foot and close your front shoulder at the same time. You kind of separate. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's become the big thing over the last 15 years. I said that in. 1983. And no one had ever said that. that's not in the science hitting. That's my work. I called it the stretch position. Yep. The stretch Pete, position. Pete already had that in the comments before he said it. Yep. Pete, Pete knows it well. He, he had to know it. He was in my programs and, and it was like, he had to be in the stretch position. Uh, to me, it's probably the most important mechanical move. Deva's great at it. Casca's great at it. Yoshiba eh, in and out. So there's a perfect example. Now, see, we, now there's a technique. I'm not going to go into it because it, it won't carry here. Uh, you'd have to be in front of me. And uh, George, mm-hmm. I have you hitting bombs before it was over. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, um, but you can't do it like this, you know. But um, that's a pretty good example. Like y- y- Yoshida doesn't really use the stretch position to its potential. You know, in two hours, I'd have him locked onto that so fast. And, you know, and, and that reminded me of something else. Jackie Bradley Jr. And to reel me in, bring me back to where we were, but you got to hear the story because I I had this in my notes. Jackie Bradley Jr. was being talked about in the same conversation as Joe DiMaggio's streak years ago. You remember this? Mm-hmm. He was oh, yeah, on the road and they, would, they thought he might hit the streak. And then he somehow went from there to being traded and disappearing and He's a center fielder. You're up the middle. You're one of the most talented guys in this game. This guy is a phenomenal talent. I contacted the Red Sox and I contacted his agent and I said, you give me this kid and I will fix him before I finish a large Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Didn't hear back from either one of them. I get by. So hell with you, I'm not going to, I wanted to get in touch with Jackie, but you can't get these people. And I'm, you know, I get a little bit of ego. I'm not going to, I got stuff to do. I got work to do on my own. I'm not going to try to track down Jackie Bradley Jr. You know, and all that takes to do that. I mean, that's a hard job. So I contacted who I thought was appropriate. I called his agent. I knew who that was. I left a message and I called the Red Sox. I said, I, I can help him. I can see what's wrong. And, you know, I, and I want to tell that story because that's the type of stuff that pisses me off. You know, I don't know where he is now. Do you guys know where he is? Is he still playing? No, uh, he's, he's not playing. Uh, well, no, no, no. He has not oh. officially retired. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. I, I had reached out to Jackie Bradley Jr. on Instagram to come on the podcast, and he, he said that he's not at this time taking uh, podcast requests. Yeah. So. Well, I, I, really felt, I really felt bad because, I, you know, when I see someone in trouble and I'm like, you know, here's, we're back to the Top Gun thing. Mm-hmm. A man, we can probably assume that several people try to come to his rescue. Would you not agree with me? Someone tried to oh. help him, right? You would just yeah. have a, just, you know, teammates, you know, hey, you know, hey, you know. But what are they saying to him? And what is that based on? 
and I would get him together. It was, I, I'll tell you guys right now, he could have left his bat in the dugout. It had nothing to do with his arms or hands or bat. It was all lower body. His lower body timing was on the moon. He just didn't. Another story. David Ortiz, he was having a bad year one year. And I never do this. And they're picking on, they're picking on, they're picking on, they're, you know, like EEI, you know, they're all over on these talk shows. You know, he's, he's too old. He's had it, blah, blah, blah. I said, give me that phone. I pick up the phone. I said, this is Steve Rowley. Ted Williams' name is my, him, me, 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 his successor in 1994. I want to talk about David Ortiz. I never call him, calling him. Boom, it put me right through. You're on the air, Steve. Yeah, yeah, brother. yeah. I said, look it. Here's the thing. He's late with his stride, and his lower and upper body are disconnected. Once he gets together, he's gonna put on a rocket show. How dare you pick on this guy that carried the Boston Red Sox on his back? I gave it to him. I smoked him. He was an all-star that year and won the home run derby too. He he straightened it out in about a month and hit bombs. This David Atish you're talking about. Anyway, you see, you got to calm me down. Where's my daughter? She'll hit me with something. I get going. No, you know? no it, it, it's it's stuff like that that you know we don't know. Uh, we George and I had uh, Crowley's Cubs on. He's a writer for the uh, Chicago Cubs, and we had him on. Uh, you know, to talk about uh, Breslow and stuff because you know who, who knows Breslow better than what he did than someone that covers the Cubs. Yeah, and uh, you know he told us a story that. Just like what you did with with uh, Steele, he's, he's a young pitcher for the Cubs. Uh, he he was doing really bad, and he said that. Now he don't know what the conversation consisted of, but he said John Lester was watching baseball uh, game, seen Steele pitch. He goes the next day. He called David Ross and said, "This is how you. This is what he's doing. This is how to fix it." Next thing you know. Steel from the second half of the season, you know, had all-star numbers. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's what – I don't understand why if, – if you're doing it for a former MLB player and you're willing to take that, why wouldn't they do it for you too? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like – Yeah. You, you, well, <laughs> you know, I, I remember what Lou Gorman said, um, and, and I understand. But, you know, baseball's a business. It's a business. And I understand what Lou Gorman said all those years ago. And I think that was true. And what's sad about it is, however, now it's not true because the Ted Williams theory, let's define that hips ahead of hands, slightly up, unbroken wristed contact. That's kind of the Ted Williams swing. Every player you guys are seeing on the TV right now is swinging slightly up. They've got their hips ahead of their hands. And they're hitting the ball with unbroken wrist. That's what I was saying about Johnny Gomes. He had he was exaggerating the unbroken wrist position. Mm-hmm. That's the Ted Williams swing. And from that comes great launch angle. That's what Peter Collins was kind of referring to. And that's what Ted was saying in the early 70s. 70s was saying in the 60s. It was documented in the 70s. And I bring up the, the documentation part because Ted Williams documented by the Library of Congress. Steve Ferroli, documented by the United States Library of Congress. I said these things, they are they are documented, backed up. They are in print at a certain time. And I think that the MLB network or Major League Baseball in general should, should follow that. It would be a nice thing for people to understand 
the progress of hitting. I thought Dusty Baker said great things about hitting. He wrote a book about hitting. Rod Carew wrote a book about hitting. Pete Rose. I love listening to Pete Rose talk. You want to see somebody get pissed off about two strikes? Listen to Pete Rose talk. You know, and and you know, and there are there are there are places where me and Pete would bang heads for sure. But as far as two strike hitting, I'm completely on board with them. And there's a lot of information out there. And what I'm saying about myself and Ted Williams is it's almost like it was there and then they went in a different direction and all this time's gone by and now they're revisiting it and Ted's long gone and I'm getting older and it's like, hey, why don't you why don't you let me fix this for you? That's why I keep bringing up the Top Gun thing. Why don't what while you guys are dicking around with it, why don't you just let me come in and fix it for you? It's not that hard if you know what you're doing. It's like, you know, you know, and you can understand why they're tentative because, oh, we've got these resources. We've got these, these race cars. Well, who can work on them? Well, if you're a master mechanic, you can, and I am. I want to know, and, you know, now I'm getting, I'm getting a little bit my dander up here, and so be it. I want to know who thinks they're better than me on this subject. I want to meet them. I want them in front of me. I want to know. It's I'm entering my 42nd year. When I was 21, Ted Williams said I was the best he ever met. Now, to me, to not say, hey, let's bring this information to the flag. Let's bring it to the, let's bring it to who we are as Americans. Let's bring it there. We're the Major League Baseball. We're the best baseball in the world. I'm saying not so much. The most talented, but technique, not so much. No, you're not. And I'm saying, let's do something about it. And I'm not being, I'm not being an asshole. I'm being, let's get it right because it's the right thing to do. Because here's the thing, George and Josh and T and CT, every kid is looking up to this. Children looking up to it. Let's get it right. Just for that sake alone. Oh, the dream, play ball, lay bang that drum like crazy. Well, let's let's do it right then. I agree. Yes, I think Major League Baseball, bang that drum. Tell kids to get out. This is a tough game to play. It'll build your character. But let's get it right. Let's let's in and, and there's a prove me wrong. Um, have I said things here that don't make sense? Would it be uncomfortable for Raphael Devers to say, I'm going to think about being a power middleman? Yes, it will. I didn't say any of it was easy, but when you, here's, I'll say this to you, for every guy that's going to go to work tomorrow, when you're making 15 or $20 million a year, we expect you to do hard. We expect you to try hard. How about that part? You know, yes, it'll be hard. Too bad. You know, you're a pro. You're the best. You know, and I feel bad for some of these guys that their career would go by and they might say, you know, I could have been a better two-strike hitter. Maybe I was out of style. And it's all over with. Their legs are dust. It's done. So there's that side of it too. And, that, you know, and I didn't mean to get all fired up like this, but I'm kind of glad I did because that's what I really mean. That's what Ted was like. He was disgusted with it. You know, I mean, that you know, these guys... And, and then people will say, well, you know, it's a different game now. It's, you know, it's not, you know, it wasn't as good back then. Here's what I say. 
when a man stands 60 feet, six inches away with a ball, and I'm standing at the plate with a bat or another man standing at the plate with a bat, it's the same. Now, I'll agree. Like, I, I keep bringing up CT because it's nice having a pitcher following. I hope he's still with me. I love the idea that there's a, well, Pete, too. We got two pitches that I know are listening. <clears throat> and and, and Mike Christo also. What's that? Mike's also a pitcher, and, you know, and he's there, too. Yep. Oh, oh, cool. Well, what I'm saying, yeah, exactly. And, and, and what I'm saying is pitching has done a great job beating hitting down. And I'm saying that the timing is right for hitting to say, we can do that too. We can do that too. And we've never seen that before. We have never seen, we have never seen a team executing the Ted Williams theory in style with a good two strike approach. That's what I'm selling. That's what I'm selling as so my friend Sue Merrifield could see that. <laughs> you know, I worked here at the cinema years ago, so she could see that sort of baseball. Man, I in my book that I come out, uh, I just rewrote the book, you know, re, uh, re-edition of it. I did it as a uh, um, an e-book. Yeah. And I said, man, that'd be something to see. It'd be something to see. Because it, it it really would. It really would be something. So, you know, um, anyway, shut me up. What else you guys got? I uh, get uh, well, well, Steve, uh, first off, I want to say thank you for coming on. You know, I, I appreciate and love the time. Uh, guys, we will be doing a part two with Steve Feroli. It will be next Wednesday. He will be a part of our pesky party hour. So you guys get... He's got plenty more stories. I've got plenty more things I'm going to ask him. Uh, we're going to be looking at Jerem Duran, you know, uh, how he changed and became the hitter he is now. And, Steve, now now you sit there and have me – I've got to try to challenge you with a modern-day player. And, man, Steve, I, Arauz, Luis Arauz from the Miami Marlins – is probably oh, the best one of the best hitters that I think we have in Major League Baseball. I gotta, I, I gotta have you look at him mm-hmm. to sit there and possibly see he could he be the best. You know, he's batting. Um, you know, he was floating for a long time around 400 this season. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, yeah, I, you know, I'm glad you said. I'm glad you said that. And I, you know, I, uh, a lot of times. I'll say, like, I, I was talking about um, uh, Altuve. I was talking about Mookie Betts one time. And I was talking about style. And to me, both those hitters are out of style. And I know they're great athletes and great players by today's standards. I understand where it's all at. What I'm saying is, is that if you take Mookie Betts and you make him a middleman rather than him kind of hitting the home runs he's hitting, I think his home run percentage would still stay where it is and he would have a crack at chasing Ted for the 400 mark. That's how much progression I'm talking about changing his style could make. However, if you've got everybody in the lineup batting like a fool, no one ever has the chance of doing that again. You know, like, cause the pitching attack is so strong, but unless you have a lineup to try to, 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 to combat that so that the guys, you know, every guy one after the other is doing something logical as opposed to illogical in relation to their 
physical abilities. In other words, we got all the players on the course where they belong in the batting lineup. If you understand what I'm saying, they, they're all executing their proper roles, you know, and there's only about four different styles or directions or roles of hitting. Okay. Um, and once you have that, you really have an exciting, uh, an exciting thing. And I think that I'm top of my head, Altuve, this kid, Carol, I almost come out of my chair watching him. I said, look at this kid, left-handed gets down the line, like, uh, you know, like a rocket. And, and again, out of style, doesn't really know what he's doing. No two strike approach. I'm sitting at home going kid, find me, sit down with me with a 12 pack and I will change your world. I mean, and he was rookie of the year, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, this kid is, uh, you know, and I, and, and how exciting. And, but, you know, in, in answer to your question about why, why doesn't anyone get onto this? I wonder if it's like, it's like, you know, um, don't rock the boat. Uh, there's too much money involved. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know why. I, yeah, you'd have to go behind the scenes. I can say this, and anyone listen to this podcast, I would think would have to agree with me. It makes no sense. There is a writer. Years ago, there was a writer that wrote an article for Sports Illustrated kind of claiming that I was one of the best batting instructors in the game. This is way back. It was never printed, but Ted was interviewed for it and everything. There is a writer right now presenting Sports Illustrated with an article that I am the best living batting instructor and I'm out of the game. And that makes no sense. That's I, I, and I agreed to that article. I will, I talked to this writer. And the reason I'm saying that right now is if there's no way of proving that there might be somebody somewhere that's way better than me. I doubt it, but there's no way of proving it. And that's not my point. My point is, is that maybe I am. And it doesn't make sense that someone wouldn't say, what is this guy talking about? Let's let's just get him here. Jimmy, who's this kid's story, right? He's batting 200 the shortstop. He's a shortstop for Christ. He's a shortstop. Shortstops are probably the most talented people on the field. Give me story. Done deal. Give me story. Talk a little bit. Watch what happens. You know, I, I was why I, I, I saw him a little bit. That sort of thing. Just give me the worst guy you have. Give me them all. Give me the worst guys and send them to me and you know, a case of beer and we'll change it around. So, well, Steve, uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, we really appreciated it. Guys, uh, it's, it's been a great episode. Uh, Pete, thank you for, you know, making this happen like always. So guys, make sure you head on over to our YouTube uh, channel. Uh, at BSEN 617, uh, hit, give us the, the subscription, follow us so you know when we're doing any of our live podcasts. Uh, we're also on iTunes and Spotify. Heck, head on over to the merchandise. Uh, we got the QR code right here. Uh, bam, right there by George. Scan, scan the QR code. You know, get yourself uh, some shirts from either the Pesky Podcast. Uh, you know, Foxborough fellas, you know, any, any of our great podcasts. So, but guys, make sure you follow us. You check us out next Wednesday, part two, Steve Ferrari will be back. And man, I can't wait for you and Mike Carista to sit there and go head to head 
pitcher versus batter. It's going to be one for the ages. So, but until then, he is George. This is Mr. Steve Ferrali, and I am the Rit. Check us out next time on the Pesky Podcast.